This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, I'm settled back. Are you folks for another edition of the program? I hope so. Ramya Muth and my co-host at the Toronto Home Studio. No, you are actually in the office. Yes, I am. I'm wow. back at headquarters. Doesn't it feel like just yesterday I was here? Yeah, I think so, especially when your uh, uh, internet was yanked out. Yeah, except wow. it wasn't yesterday. It was the I day before. It, make it sound like a disgruntled neighbor. <laughs> Email just came in here that there's some uh, white AMI shirts down in the kitchen. Size right. large. Why don't you go and grab one? Why don't you go and grab two? No one will know. No one will, know. No one will notice. Yeah. Um. I would, but uh, I think I'm okay. Would you like me to grab one for you? Oh, no, no, no. Really? That's okay. Why was I taking two then? Uh, Well, I just call it greed, but you never know. Uh, You might want to hand something out to somebody you pass on the street, and that's advertising. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few other AMI swag, like the hat. But you wouldn't give it away to anybody walking by, you know, like, say, hey, if someone said, geez, someone that's a nice right, have that? Would you? If they asked. White shirt, you would. Yeah, I have a lot of white shirts. You'd like hand T-shirts. That. Yeah, like to publicize the service. For sure, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's with uh, good intentions. <laughs> I wonder if you go down there and get an armful and walk out. I'm, I'm marketing. I'm doing marketing. Mm-hmm. The gang mm-hmm. in marketing would chase you. We'll find out. We'll ask yeah. Greg David when he's here in a little while and, and see what he has to say about that, about uh, you absconding with a whole bunch <laughs> A whole bunch of the shirts that are sitting there. See, they shouldn't have sent that to us just before we went on the air. Like, good heavens. Anyway, folks, okay. speaking of Greg David, let's see what's coming up on the program since he is. There are many things that need to be addressed before a television show is really considered truly Canadian. We learn more with Greg in a little while. I'm excited about that conversation. Also, 46% of senior managers in Canada have onboarded employees who have retired but returned back to the workforce. So we're going to talk about why that is with our friends from Robert Half. We also have a health chat later on in the program. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe answers all of our questions that we could have about monkeypox on the program. We'll have that conversation with her later on during Hour 2 right here on Kelly and Company. Ooh. Got a bit of a warning for you, folks. It's, it's, it's been issued pertaining snake bites. Everyone loves a summer romance, including snakes. It's mating season. They're out looking for love. And if you're in the way, they'll let you know by biting you. Ask JC Marks about it. I walked into the garage and I was taking my shoes off. And it felt like something like a stick hit me or something. The nine-year-old from North Carolina had an all-too-close encounter with a copperhead. And I looked down to go and throw it. And I realized that was a snake. It sent her to the hospital. She'll be okay. And she's keeping her shoes on. Daria Albinger, ABC News. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I'll keep my suit of armor on if I was there roaming around because I don't want to get get, get uh, hit by a copperhead. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, felt like a stick. I guess that's like a, a stick jab. Um, but th- th- that is so crazy, right? Because it's so easy to happen where you're just doing your own thing and a snake says, you're in my way. 
Yeah, and I can't believe that it, they do this all just for mating season. Like, I don't know. There's just so much we don't know about animal behaviors, creatures, and things like that. And I thought we learned, you know, a ton of it just from talking to uh, Danielle Johnkind on Tuesdays. But <laughs> this, all this snake talk, Kels, I don't know, man. A lot this week. Boy, we've had quite a bit. But purpose. And I don't believe... This is just about the mating and all that kind of thing. I, I think it's always open season on a human if you get between certain snakes and where they're planning to go or if they really, you know, don't want you around or maybe just curious of, well, I wonder what you taste like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I would not want to mistake a snake for a stick, just ever. I remember being so afraid of snakes that it, you know, it was that kind of thing because I had never been bitten. I didn't really know anyone who had, especially living up here in Canada. So it's that kind of thing. If you were going to go somewhere to like Arizona or somewhere like like that, um, you know, you wonder, oh, I, I just have no concept what that's going to feel like. And I'm not suggesting everybody knows what it feels like to be bit by many of the creatures here, but it's that kind of thing that just always leaves you thinking about it. When you go anywhere, um, be a little aware of, of the snakes. They, they have them here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my, my good friends, the alligators, too. Be, beware of those guys. Uh, you don't want to be bit by one of those. Folks, I've got something a little heartwarming. Um, unfortunately, it, it, it could have been a really bad thing. Uh, there was a heartwarming baseball moment during a Little League Southwest Regional Playoff Final in Waco, Texas. Pitcher Caden Shelton of Pearland, Texas, lost control of a pitch that hit Isaiah Jarvis of Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the helmet. Oh, look out. Oh, my gosh. Jarvis was okay and went to first base, but Shelton was clearly shaken up and in tears. But in a moment that transcended sports, Jarvis walked to the mound. So I went up there, I gave him a hug, you know. I just wanted to make sure he was okay. I mean, because we're all brothers. Shelton wasn't sure what would happen next. I thought he was going to throw a punch or something like that. But, yeah, he hugged me. It made me feel a lot better. He's an amazing person. The crowd gave the boys a standing ovation. Todd Ant, ABC News. He's an amazing person. I love that being said. And I must admit, Rum, there's many times I've watched Major League Baseball games and somebody gets hit by the ball, a pitcher goes to throw a pitch, loses control of it, or, or if the game, if the rain has started, it slips out of their hand. Just different different reasons mm-hmm. that things can happen. They pull it too much, uh, trying to keep it inside, and whoop, uh, I guess you didn't back up off the plate. And, I, and, and it used to be guys would charge the mound and it'd be a bench-clearing little scuffle and that that would happen. But I often wonder how bad you'd feel. You know, you're not trying to hit anybody. It happens. And and just I always wait for something crazy like that, especially on Toronto. We have uh, Vladimir Guerrero on the team. And he is just such a guy show up at first base and he's, hey, how are you? Hugs people and that kind of thing. So I always wait for him to get hit and walk up to the mound. And it's okay, man. It's okay. Would you go back to the plate, please? Would you go? <laughs> yeah, I, I know you didn't do it on purpose. So I always wait. But a story like that, you love it. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of fun hearing about it from all different perspectives as well, right? Like the kids and the grown-ups and everyone who was there. Uh, and then uh, obviously the perspective of the him himself. But it's uh, pretty funny, like you said. And it, only in sports do you get stuff like this. I, oh, actually, I take it back. You get it in all kind of entertainment. can't really ages. imagine it in hockey. 
Uh, you know, if you you check somebody into the boards really hard or something like that, and the guy goes down, gets up. But you know, I mean, in basketball, sometimes guys will, will run a, another guy over and then reach down and help pick him. You know, give him a hand to pull him up, or the teammates will run over. But uh, other baseball. guys sometimes from the other team they'll mm-hmm. do it. Baseball seems where they chat the most, which really annoys some of the the managers. Why are you being so friendly with the <laughs> other team? They're kicking our butt. Get get in here. Um, that seems to be something kind of that happens, but. I recall one hockey story where I think it was Eddie Shack, the late Eddie Shack, hockey player. Uh, one of the other guys dropped their gloves to have a fight with him, and he dropped his gloves. He reached out and shook hands with the guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just, and the guy went, What kind of joke is this? <laughs> but only in sports, as you said, Ramya, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Really, it really is. We're just beginning today's edition of Kelly and Company. Thanks for being with us wherever you're listening in around the world. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Coming up in just a moment, producer Jeff Ryman joins us, and he'll have our uh, this week's health headlines to talk about. Stay tuned. It's Kelly and Company with Rumya and Kelly. When you have time, why don't you reach out to the show and say hi? Give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Give us permission to use your hi on air. Say it's all right to use your hi, and we certainly will. Otherwise, folks, we certainly won't put your voice out over the air. So if you have more than hi to say or just simply don't want your hi on the air, we won't do that. Uh, Mention it's for Kelly and company, too, your hi. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Feedback at AMI.ca. If you want to send uh, a, a message to the gang at communications marketing area over there, just give them an email. Feedback at AMI.ca. And, of course, on Twitter, at AMI-audio, so you can follow along with what's going on on uh, any of the programs while we're on the air and interact with AMI-audio. That's on Twitter, the handle, at AMI-audio. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan, and let's uh, welcome in our other co-producer for the program. On Wednesdays, he's here to visit with us and talk health headlines, Jeff Ryman. I'm Jeff Ryman with The Health Report. I bring you the latest studies, advice, and health headlines from major newspapers, magazines, and the Canadian press. So back in May, Jeff was trying to, you know, start summer off. As far as he was concerned, summer starts in May, even though we know it's late June. Um, but Jeffrey, now we're already in August. Like it's zooming along. Next month, autumn drops in. I know. I know. It's, it's kind of scary. Why are you doing this? I I know because <laughs> I, I don't know. like. Why? Summer. I don't love summer. It's too hot. I, what? Too hot, and you get people sneezing from allergies. Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't get me going here. I was telling uh, Kelly and Remya off air. That uh, I turned my ceiling fan on and I, dust fell from it. So now, uh, about five ten minutes before coming on, now I had a huge sneezing fit, and yeah, so I might sound a, a little different. And if you if I randomly go MIA, you probably know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm yeah. sneezing. Actually, funny story. One time, this is a, a, about four or five years ago. I was with Rossi in studio and I was doing a sports report for the morning Gazette 
And I don't know if it was just seasonal allergies or if there was something in the office that day. But literally the second the sports music came on and I was supposed to come on air, I just start sneezing and coughing and all of the above. And so I try to say, I'm Jeff Ryman and this is your sports report. And I I was like uh, mixing up all the words. I couldn't say anything. And then Rossi's like, give me your papers. (laughs) Uh, I'll read it for you until you are okay. So it took me like a couple minutes to sort of calm down and get everything back in order. And eventually I took over, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a nightmare when, when you have to sneeze or cough or do something on air. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I've been afraid, but I haven't yet done it. I've always had one finger on the mute when, <laughs> when things yeah. like this come up, especially sneezes though. Sneezes are the worst ones, but you know what I find with sneezes even right now, like after you told us that, you had a, a sneezing fit before you came on. I feel like I can tell because you sound all like stuffed up. And that's what's yeah. happened to me on air. So I've sneezed off mic and muted and then come back on and sounded like this. Yeah, <laughs> That's the yeah. problem. People can hear the aftermath. <laughs> yeah. You come back, you like this. Yeah, what was she up to? Exactly. And, and if you're on TV or camera, your eyes are all glossy because you've probably, they're all watery and you might have a tear trickling uh, down the uh. side of your face. And it's like, <laughs> what just happened? What do you, you look like a mess? <laughs> exactly. Uh, TV's hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Be ready. That's one of those things. They eh? like, oh, look at his nose. Oh, it's awful red. Oh, what's he been drinking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sir, where do you want to start? Yeah, I want to start with food. Um, and we all know that food prices are rising and, you know, there are healthy alternatives and unhealthy alternatives to uh, rising food prices right around the country. Now, uh, this article comes from healthline.com and it is called healthy foods that are incredibly cheap. Now, I don't know if I would say incredibly cheap, uh, um, but definitely cheaper and they are definitely Interesting. healthy. Because that's our um, and, biggest complaint, isn't it? When people yeah, say eat absolutely. organic, eat healthy, eat local, we're always yeah. hammered the money. Yeah, that's the thing. And this obviously varies from which region or province or territory you may be living in. So just keep that in mind. Um, but it, it, it sort of breaks things down. In uh, the first little section here are the vegetables. Number one on this list is broccoli. Um, it depends. I know broccoli can fluctuate in price. Same with cauliflower, I find. Uh, but typically you can find them fairly cheap. And obviously these things are loaded with tons of different vitamins. I'm talking particularly rich in vitamin C. They have antioxidants and may boost your immune system. Uh, actually, just one cup provides 135% of your daily needs. So nice. uh, it is one of those like superfoods. I know not everybody likes it. I actually really like broccoli. It's never been a problem for me to eat it. Um, and, and I don't mind it just eating it raw. I, I can barbecue it. I steam it. Whatever, which way, I will eat it. And I know people like to load cheese and stuff on it, so that would take the nutrient value down. But it is definitely one of those superfoods that I think you should be having in your diet. And especially now when it is, you know, uh, with inflation going up, it is one of the cheaper alternatives. Right. Yeah. 
It's interesting when we think about the nutri- nutrients, right? Because you think, well, if you coat it in cheese, it just makes it less healthy in the or sense of the it. things you've done to it. Yeah, or Delicious. the way you cook it. That's exactly it. If you, But that would be the thing to me that would take away... Not take away, but make it a little more. Well, why are you doing that? Like potatoes are fine, yeah. but if you go French frying them and and you know deep frying them yeah. uh, in lots of oil, they're not so fine, right? On on that level, but they're still what they are. No, for sure. And actually, the potatoes are on the list, both russet potatoes and sweet potatoes. But the one that I really think that. I should highlight are those sweet potatoes because mm-hmm. they're extremely, mm-hmm. right. extremely healthy. I mean, um, if you're into weightlifting or bodybuilding and follow bodybuilders online, like I do on Instagram and stuff, basically every meal is like uh, sweet potatoes, broccoli and chicken or some sort of combo like that. Uh, and they are fairly cheap They're You, you can get them for probably around a dollar a pound. It, it depends. They go on sale, pick them up. Kelly, though, you know, if you're going to go deep frying sweet potatoes, if you have sweet potato fries, uh, probably not the best alternative. Um, you know, most people just bake them either in the oven, maybe on the on the uh, on the barbecue, whatever, which way. Just try not to do it with too much saturated fat. Right. Uh, but right. again, these things are just loaded with a bunch of different vitamins, vitamin A, uh, one sweet potato provides 369% of your daily need for vitamin A, which plays an important role in eye health. So that is uh, really good. They also contain a decent amount of vitamin B, vitamin C, potassium, and fiber. So these things, again, along with broccoli, sweet potatoes, definitely one of those superfoods. And again, it comes at a fairly low cost. And also on top of that, potatoes. They typically fill you up, and that's one of those things that I think is key. If you're one of those people who are trying to maintain, maybe lose weight, mm-hmm. um, you know, filling yourself up. And I find this hard with a bunch of different fruits and stuff. You know, they typically don't fill me, but potatoes 100% fill you up, and you don't need much. And sweet potatoes are massive, so they do go a long way. So sweet potatoes, you might want to put those on your grocery list as well. You hear that rum and and good I love for the sweet eyes, potatoes. right? Yeah, well, we'll yeah. still eat them anyway, even though good for the eyes, but a little late that, for us. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> actually, broccoli and and all that stuff. The no, is it is it part of it? The darker greens, Kels? You heard that one, right? Yep. Kale yep. and spinach and mm-hmm. uh-huh. but go on, Jeffy. This is a different list. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go to uh, you know a, a different health. section here, and uh, this is not fruits or vegetables um this is you know sort of the grains department and on this list is oatmeal again Mm. one of those things that i like you can make them in whichever way you want i'm talking just oats i guess not necessarily oatmeal right because oats you can throw in smoothies you can just uh, you can make oatmeal you can make healthier cookies protein bars whatever it is again one of those versatile um foods that you can throw in just about anything and it will taste good and it is super super affordable uh in this article it states it's around two dollars a pound again it might vary depending on where you live uh but they also have a ton of nutrients in it including vitamin b iron magnesium um uh zinc uh so like the list goes on um and they've got a ton of fiber and again keeps you full so oatmeal is definitely something that i always have in my house it's the right thing and to yeah do. It, 
It, it is. Uh, again, again, with, with most foods, you make them unhealthy. So if you start adding a bunch of junk to it, uh, you know, the nutritional value definitely takes a hit. But there are fun ways to play around with oatmeal. I know lately, uh, me and my fiance have been adding it to um, protein shakes. Uh, we've been making um, like this like chocolate peanut butter oatmeal in the morning with uh, cocoa powder and uh, yeah. natural, uh, no sugar added peanut butter. So, you know, uh, uh, this is the limit with, with, with this type of food as well. And it's great for breakfast. It's great for a snack if you're hungry. Uh, again, uh, one of those superfoods well, that are... breakfast is a hard one. See, that's the thing that's beautiful, what you just described, because it is a healthier choice. So, and that's where in the morning you're tired. You don't necessarily have time to do it if you prepare the night before. But if you have something like that, that you, you, you put it on, you get it together, run and do something else. Boy, is it ever a healthier choice without doing too much work to have that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. In prepping this stuff, yeah, like you said, couple minutes it, it really doesn't take that long to uh to to make oatmeal or, or put oatmeal in something so love it you do also the overnight here, oats jeffy n- no i've never done that um but i'm kind of tempted it is it, it, it definitely looks interesting chia you know, overnight I'm, I'm chia and overnight oats are really um flexible i use that word because you can just make it Right, like put it in with your choice of liquid and leave it overnight in a mason jar or something, and then the next day do whatever you want with it. You know, like if you want fruits, if you want peanut butter or nut butters, like you're describing, or however you want, like however you're feeling like in the morning. Um, but yeah. you don't have to even take that extra time to like boil it or cook it. Yeah, which is uh, so it's just it's just ready to go. It's just ready yeah. to go cause because it's, it's so good overnight. stuff. And, yeah. and, and it yeah. really replaces some, for for some people. I know some people need their sugar in the morning, um, but you know oats you, you really kind of liven stuff up that way. So if you even if you throw raisins, if you're that kind of person, Jeff and Ramya, um, you can really mm-hmm. enjoy something with that's a lot more nutritious and good for you. Yeah, for sure. Also on this list, uh, a couple more things that I do want to get to. Uh, air-popped popcorn. Um, I feel like we've talked about this before. has to be air-popped. Don't get that stuff that is in the bag that has a ton of saturated fat and salt on it. Uh, if you just pop uh, air, air-popped air popcorn, uh, literally has no calories pretty much. Uh, then obviously once you start adding stuff, um, it, it, it takes that value down, but you can also add fun stuff to it and, and, and make it healthy as well. And it is filling, uh, I mean, obviously something that you can munch on, you know, at night. So I know a lot of people are huge fans of popcorn in terms of fruits, bananas, those things fill you up again, really cheap. They usually go for around 60 cents a pound. So if you buy a bunch, like literally a bunch of bananas, um, it usually costs me just over a dollar. Uh, and they have a ton of vitamins, minerals, vitamin C, vitamin B6, potassium, um, really good. Uh, just the sugar content may be a, a little bit high in bananas, so be careful of that if you uh, are diabetic. And last but not least, uh, uh, in terms of protein, eggs. Love eggs. So good. So filling. They're about three bucks a dozen, I would say, roughly. Uh, fills you up tons of protein, antioxidants, sky's limit. Again, you can do basically whatever with eggs. So again, a very versatile, cheaper food alternative. Jeff Ryman talks health with us on Wednesdays. He's back Friday for Lifestyle when we'll gather and just uh, have a conversation. He'll bring these great things to us. 
So talk to you Friday, Jeff, on the program. In the meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, we'll step aside for just a moment. And up next, there are many different things that need to be addressed before a television show is truly considered Canadian. We learn more with Greg David on the other side of the break. Many of people out there listen to Kelly and Company through the podcast or stream it one way or another. A couple of great ways to listen in is if you have one of those Victor Reader streams, you can find us saved there in the favorites. Also, hmm, OO Tunes and the Radio Player Canada. Download those to your smart device. You can take us with you then in case you got to run out during the live show at 2 p.m. or the repeat at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, you can also sit at your computer and visit us at ami.ca and listen to the stream of the program. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muth, and over there, we are the hosts of Kelly and Company. Thank you for being with us out there in the company of the program. Let's welcome in Greg David as we get a chance to talk a little bit about TV with our uh, communications specialist, Greg David. I'm Greg David, and I love television, reality shows, dramas, sitcoms, and documentaries. I watch them all. I'm excited to share my passion for the television industry with you in front of and behind the cameras as it changes and evolves. So uh, I was mentioning to the audience at the top of the show, Greg, that uh, down the hallway, there's some white shirts there for my staff to pick up. Are these uh, like a marketing kind of thing? Like I told Rumya, take an armful and go hand them out somewhere. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that they probably are white T-shirts with the AMI logo on them. Now, for those that don't know, we've upgraded or changed our logo to just uh, black and white so that the, it's high contrast. And I think it may be the old green ones. You know, remember the pea green uh, logo? Those yeah. might be the ones that are free. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I like the new logo better. Let me just put it that way. So these are for the staff. Just move them because, you know, we like you said, we've changed it up. Thanks for the description on that, too, because I kind of had forgotten uh, about the change. And that's one of those things. It's always nice to know and keep current. It, it's it's got to be hard, too, making those decisions, Greg, but they got to be done. And that's, that's kind of cool. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, no problem. And and I think, you know, depending on whether you're in the Toronto office or not over the next few days, you might want to wander down into that marketing room because there might be some other stuff there. I mean, you know, oh, yeah? we all know that Ooh. we work in the media and we get paid so much, but it's nice to augment that huge salary that we all get with the swag. So go get some swag. <laughs> I like the word augment. Yes. Yes. And yeah. huge salary. There were lots yes. of good points in this <laughs> sentence. Well, I'll, I'll hurry down to Toronto right away. Yeah. Um, Greg, let's talk a little bit about Canadian TV shows, because I don't think a lot of thought goes into when we tune into it, we don't even really stop to think, what defines this as a Canadian TV show? There are many different things that need to be addressed with this before a television show is truly considered Canadian. So first of all, can you walk us through the process to to get it made that way? Yeah, sure. And and it is very different from the U.S. here in Canada. Um, this And this whole thing that we're going to talk about today goes back to the CRTC. And the CRTC or the Canadian Radio, Television and Communications Commission, so now you know why we call them the CRTC because they have such a long name, um, they are dedicated to ensuring that Canadians have access to a world-class communication system. 
Uh, the CRTC's role is to regulate and supervise broadcasting and telecommunications, and they're all doing this in the public interest. And back in 1996, the CRTC mandated that television production, so television shows, must achieve eight points out of ten to be considered Canadian. Mm. Wow, eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah, eight out of ten. Okay, so what are the points rewarded to? Let's go or awarded to what? Uh, let's go through that. Sure, absolutely. And the, those points are handed out or given for the number of Canadians who fulfill the key creative role. So they need to be involved creatively in the project, which we're going to get into a little bit more detail. And once we talk about this, it's going to make a lot more sense. And then we'll get into the reason why there's a point system in the first place. But right off the top, it's going to the Canadians that fulfill those key creative roles. Okay, so what does creative roles mean? Does that include lead actors? It absolutely does. So uh, productions receive one point for a lead performer who is Canadian. So there's one point. They also receive one point if their second lead performer is Canadian. So, you know, lead actor and lead actress, um, they're, you know, number one and number two on the call sheet every day. If they're Canadian, easy. They're the two points right off the top. So we're already at two. We're well on the way to having a show called Canadian. Yeah, exactly. And then how about people who work behind the scenes? I'm assuming they get some points as well. Yeah, and this is where things get a little bit interesting. Two points are awarded if the director or directors are Canadian. Uh, obviously, there are some television shows where you will only have one director, but there are many others like Murdoch Mysteries, for instance, where they'll have a handful of directors that all step in. So you can have a mix, but as long as uh, as long as long uh, there are some director or directors in there that are Canadian, then you get two points. And also, uh, you get two points if the screenwriter is Canadian. So screenwriter is somebody who is uh, literally writing for the screen. So they might be in the writer's room. They might be the showrunner who who runs the show and is kind of the head writer and runs the writer's room. So two points are awarded for the screenwriter. So we're already up to, let's see, my math is one, two, three, four, five, six. And then one point is given if the production designer, and so that's the person who heads up how the production, so the set design and everything like that. Uh, if if the production designer is Canadian, you get a point for that. And one point is given for the director of photography, and the director of photography works with the director. So they'll be they may be doing the filming of the scenes, they may be involved in uh, how it looks visually on camera. So if there are dark or light tones in a scene, uh, different colors to denote different emotions. So we're already just talking today in these few minutes. We're already at those eight points that you need. So it sounds really easy, right? Well, it's nice in the sense that if you have one director on it, they're Canadian, you get your two points. If you have four directors or, you know, in, in a circumstance like that and only one is Canadian, you're still getting your two points or, you know, or mm-hmm. vice versa. So I, I like that, that that's all taken into account. Uh, it seems pretty standard and makes sense. We're already past the number of points that we need to have a show considered Canadian. Any other points that can be awarded? Yeah, a point is also given if the music composer is is Canadian. Uh, again, you know, they're the person that writes the music in the scenes. They might write the theme music for the program as well. And one point is given if the picture editor, and they're part of the post-production process, is Canadian. So the picture editor basically takes all of that footage and works with the director and the showrunner to put together an episode of a television show or a season of a television show. Uh, so, yeah, that's how you get to, get to those points. 
pretty great that the you know the staff are in recognized individually. I think that we focus a lot on content, right? CanCon, CanCon, and mm-hmm. um, so we don't necessarily give a lot of these shout outs, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we know that they're actually counting four points uh, behind the scenes, but even just our own awareness of that. Um, pretty interesting. And it outlines the, the people so far in the system. But how about this homegrown source material like the book or the TV show that the um, uh, that the TV based show is on. based on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There are points awarded for that. And, and we've spoken many times about a television show, particularly a Canadian one in this segment, uh, being adapted for a, a television show or a, or a Canadian TV movie or something like that. So a live action drama or comedy production that's based on the adaptation of a best-selling Canadian authored novel collects a point. Um, and I think the one that jumps to mind uh, right now for me is Son of a Critch, which is a CBC sitcom that actually, spoiler alert, is going to be coming to AMI-TV this fall. Nice. But we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. That was based on Mark Critch's book, which is a best-selling book where he talked about his life and growing up in Newfoundland and his career. So taking that best-selling book and translating that into television, that automatically gives that project a point. So even if uh, there were some people in, uh, involved in the show that weren't Canadian at, uh, at all, you're still getting a point from that source material coming from Canada and, and written by a Canadian. Uh, Greg, was it a specific genres? You said comedy and... It can be drama? a drama or a comedy production. Okay, okay. So it doesn't necessarily matter. All right, cool. No. And yep. Son of a Critch gets a point, uh, Rum, because we Being did awesome. it last month on our yep. book club, right? right? <laughs> there you go. Isn't yes, that perfect that's, timing? <laughs> that's right. That is perfect. It's it's almost like I listened to the show. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't get too carried away. We know better than that. Um, Greg, can you explain how this point systems gave, because this is kind of an outlier here, I think, maybe you'll correct me on that, but how this point system gave Vikings, which was filmed in Ireland and predominantly starring international actors, a Canadian label. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, Vikings has won so many Canadian screen awards. Mm-hmm. They they get nominated in the drama category and take up space. And a lot of people get really upset about that. And they say, just like you said, um, Kelly, you know, uh, it's full of international actors. It's not even filmed in this country. So how in the world is it considered to be a Canadian television show? Well, the two lead actors were were Canadian on that. Uh, there was female and male uh, actors involved in, in Vikings that were Canadian. Uh, the director's that were involved in the show throughout its run were Canadian as well. And the music and editing was largely done by Canadians. I don't know if, uh, you know, I tend to notice this a lot, especially when I'm watching feature films, that there will be a Quebec credit at the end of the credits. And that's because the province of Quebec is so involved in the post-production process. They do so much work on feature films, including some of those big superhero um, movies. And that's the case with Vikings as well, where they're involved in the post-production process. And the the last thing that cements a point uh, for Vikings being a Canadian television show or being considered one is that the main production company was involved, uh, that was involved in the show is Canadian as well. So you, you, mentioned Murdoch Mysteries earlier, and if my recollection, and again, not being Mr. Credits here and, and knowing a lot of that stuff that is in them, um, it's a partnership with, is it England? I know it's huge in France, yeah, the show itself. But I, yes, right? In, in, in yeah. England. But would they, do they have, obviously they have their own classification. Is it possible for a show to be considered British and Canadian, or how does that work? Do we even care? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the specifics about the point system in the UK, but I'm glad that you brought up Murdoch Mysteries because it is a little bit unique. In this uh, day and age where productions on television shows, the money comes from different countries from around the world, um, there is money that comes from the, the Alibi channel in uh, in the UK uh, to help pay those costs of making Murdoch Mysteries every year. And the way that they kind of have a little bit of muscle in Murdoch Mysteries is that they're able to then say, okay, we're giving you some money, but here are some actors and actresses from the UK that we would like featured in upcoming seasons of Murdoch Mysteries. And that's what they do. So they've had um, uh, a young actor uh, who was on uh, Downton Abbey who came on board of Murdoch Mysteries to play a young Winston Churchill. Also, a young Sherlock Holmes uh, British actor came over and did and and played that role. So that's another interesting little wrinkle in there. So it's it's a fully Canadian show, but when there's uh, international money coming into a program like Murdoch Mysteries, that production, the, the broadcaster can throw some money their way and have a little bit of creative control as well. Right, right. Even Brackenreed coming from again, yeah. on Coronation Street before he landed on, on Murdoch. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, Yeah, that's a perfect example. And, and he's one of the lead actors. So we don't get a point from him, but we get a point from all the other Canadians that are on the right. cast. So, Greg, kind of to, to wrap things up, do you feel that this point system still works? Um, do they make sense? Do we need to find a new way to to kind of recognize Canadian television? Because I feel like there's a lot being covered. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, at the point when it was first started, it was to protect our, our creative, uh, you know, the creatives here in this country yeah. and to ensure that there were jobs um, being taken by Canadians on Canadian productions. Honestly, Ramya, I think that the way that things are now with streaming services, uh, you know, so much competition that you always get from the U.S. that I really think this point system is more important than than ever. Um, as Kelly alluded with his uh, with the mention of Murdoch Mysteries, the new way of making TV is to involve international broadcasts broadcasters and their money in the production process so there's always the chance of them kind of getting in and saying listen we're, we've given you know we've given more than 50 percent of the money or whatever we want more creative control so that ensures that that doesn't happen and the other thing is quite frankly if these guidelines aren't in place it's really easy to leave mm-hmm. canadians out of the yep. loop with regard yep. to key jobs in the industry and that's just the fact that you know it's it's kind of the same way with the CanCon and the music right kelly yes, i mean you know sure. this those those rules were put in place to protect our creative uh, are our musicians in this country. Well, and that's why we have the Canada Media Fund doing what they do in the sense of making sure who can qualify and focusing on certain areas to try to get production companies in those areas work. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Join Greg David every other Wednesday to talk all things television right here on Kelly and Company. In just a moment, 46% of senior managers in Canada have onboarded employees who have retired, but want to return to the workforce. Why is that? Our friends at Robert Half are here momentarily to explain. Subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast, if you will. You can listen to the show in segment form, or you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. We throw on an audio vanity card, and sometimes a little bit more. Kelly and Company podcast experience available to you. Please simply subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald here, host of the program in London, Ontario. My co-host in Toronto, Ramya Muthan. 
Well, here we go with my mic. Okay, so here we go with another <laughs> study from Robert Half Canada. 46% of senior managers in Canada have onboarded employees who have retired and then returned to the workforce. So we want to explore this a little bit, find out why this is happening and trending, and it's a pretty big number. Uh, and so the person to give us all these answers is michael french national director for client solutions of robert half canada michael nice to have you back on thank you for joining us yet again thanks for having me ramya i love being on with you guys we love it when you're on because this is really interesting stuff for us so uh let's talk about this study employers are bringing these retirees back into the workforce why is this happening is there like a general reason so this was really, really surprising. So when we did the survey, we surveyed 900 senior managers. And we surveyed, we, we're looking at professional space. So we're not talking Walmart greeters or security. These are people in professional settings. And 46% of them said that they brought back people who were retired. And, we, and then we asked them, so like, what kind of positions? Almost half of them, 49%, were back into permanent full-time work. No way. Now, we... We didn't ask them to define retirement. People use that term pretty loosely. And many people a couple of years ago, probably two years ago now, did take an early retirement. Some of them may, be, may have been too young to retire, but they're back at it full time. And one third of them are back at it contract. Those are some, those are some pretty big numbers. We look into it, why they're doing it. A lot of it came down to inflation. Uh, feeling some financial pinch. You know, the price of bread's gone up a lot in the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. and they're having to go back to the workforce. Now, some may have been young. Some may have still been below that, that number we use of 65, but people still have lots to give. And companies are loving having these retirees come back. It's, it's great to have that, that mentorship, that senior, senior level, that business acumen, um, and their quick ability to contribute to the bottom line. So they're providing great value to many organizations. Really interesting because I know um, certain jobs, as you get busy, certain times of the year, they'll bring people back who, who have retired, and, and that, that's always been that general practice. We heard about bringing retirees back, especially when the medical crunch was going on during the pandemic. But a lot of people, as you say, kind of, left they get excited i want my early retirement or i want to be out of here i want to do my my things and be able to have still some life left and i think and i wonder if through the pandemic people started to get that kind of feeling and as you say their impact on the on the tight labor market that now is out there where people are struggling so much to find people it, it makes it really tough and these folks sound like michael they're having quite an impact well, I think there's, you're right, there's a couple of things too. I, I think there is a tight labor market where companies may not always love in the past have bringing back some retirees, where now they see it as being great because the labor market is so tight. We're going to be here for a while, and they have access to, a, to a, a, a cohort of people that they had sort of ignored for a while, and many of them still have so much to give. But they're bringing back some phenomenal skills, but a lot of them coming back too to mentor the new managers and new leaders. You know, we're in a very different workplace. We talked about it many times. Mm-hmm. There is no job, there's no sort of manual out there how to manage now. So we need to have a lot of uh, tools in our back pocket. And these retirees are one of those great tools. So here's my question now that you say that. 
a lot of the reasons, and again, you have a more of a gauge on this, that people may have been, companies may have been hesitant to bring people back. Of course, oh, well, we want to reduce the amount of pay we're putting out, time to retire people out, that kind of thing. We're looking at a different field when you bring somebody back out of retirement to work. But one of the other things we'd always hear about is, oh, we want more younger, fresh ideas, those kinds of things. And now here we are, fast forward ahead, talking about mentorship about some of these what these younger or, or, or managers new managers younger whatever you want to call them can learn from these older folks or these more experienced folks who are coming out of retirement to do this like you say it's a different market but also seemingly a little more accepting of what before we seem to consider we need fresh ideas almost like it was a crutch well, I think you're right. And let's call them young managers. Let, let, let's yes. call them young managers. And we love them. You know what? We've, they've got great ideas, great computer skills, but there is some gaps there. You know what? Sometimes there's a, how do you, how do you work well with other departments? How do you solve problems? And these are all things that the senior managers who've retired can help us with. We love having the young managers. We love all the new ideas and the tech, but there's always a piece there, the maturity that we need. It's more business acumen some more strategic thinking that maybe a young, young manager doesn't necessarily have. But we also didn't ask them, where are you going back into? So we're, we're making the assumption that these retirees are going back in maybe quite senior. We don't know. They may be going back in maybe into a lesser role, less demanding, but still very fulfilling. We hear of lots of executives saying, you know, I want to take a step back. I, I, I don't need to be in the rat race and being the big boss. I can easily go back into a role where I contribute, do the work, but I don't have to be in charge. Mm. So there's um, a lot of things out there. There's a lot of change happening. And But, you know, the, the part that kind of concerns me still is the reasons why people are going back, right? You mentioned the age thing. So people are like maybe, uh, you know, just wanting to get back into working, whether it be contractor full-time or same capacity or different, but also the inflation, the, the money um, side of it and needing to go back into work because of that. It seems like a pretty important aspect to consider in just like a a bigger picture scenario well you know the, the inflation is a big piece and you know when when you look around the cost of everything has gone up price yeah. of fuel lately has come down but everything else is up and these retirees uh many of them made this choice a couple of years ago before this all kicked in and you know what it seems like we're always hearing about pressure on retirees mm-hmm. um within a couple of years or the the finances tend to sort of write themselves and uh, they sort of realize where they are. So many of them are now finding new opportunities. But also, you know what? Uh, I was reading an article on the weekend, like 80 is the new 60. People have lots to give yeah. past yeah. that old 65. And you know what? And when people want to, when, when you want to work, you have lots to give. Let's let people contribute and live the best life they can. We need everybody out there doing what, what they want to do, working as long as they want, doing what they want, and we'll all be very successful. But yeah, inflation has been a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot too, is when you think of, you want to change. You maybe have done something for your whole career. And you think, I want to try something right. different. Or if, you, if you've had that typical office job and maybe you're dreaming for something a little bit more creative or maybe you have some different ideas now you want to try. So you have some freedom. You know, when, when, you're, when you're raising a family and a mortgage and kids, you think sometimes, you know, I, I need to play it safe. But now when you retire, it might be a chance to take on some, uh, take some risk, try something new. 
Um, good chance to good good opportunity to do it. To do well, it. we all we all dream of either that thing to volunteer and do if we're in that situation when we've retired. I want to just do something I really like. I've always thought, or like you say, pick that other job. Is there anything that's been discovered as we flip the narrative? Any negatives that have been discovered uh, from hiring retirees? You know what? I don't think there is ever a negative in hiring a retiree. I think the. Uh, the, 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 this cohort of retirees has so much to give. They have so much knowledge. You know, when it comes down to it, maybe a young manager will always have better tech skills. Maybe, you know, these young kids have great skills now in computer. So maybe that's the only thing. But they, they bring so much more to the table, just the business acumen, the maturity, the, the mentorship ability, and just their ability to, to quickly deliver to the bottom line. They've been out there working for a very long time. It's time we actually sat down and listened to them more. And let them now tell us what they want to do and how they can keep keep contributing. So um, I personally don't see any negatives in hiring a retiree. I think it's great. Yeah. And it's an interesting scenario for the retirees as well, right? Like uh, it, maybe they've been off for a year, maybe more, five years, and then coming back into the workforce means there's a lot that they have to adapt to as well. So um, the kinds of not necessarily sac- sacrifices, but the adaptations that they need to make in order to jump back into the workforce, even in a more, um, you know, a different capacity is uh, still a lot on their end to contribute, as you've been saying. Well, for sure. But when COVID hit, um, many of them have made a decision, you know, maybe it's my time to step out. And they had issues. Maybe they had elderly parents. Maybe they had elderly spouses or children to take care of. They had all these issues. They had to take care of themselves. And they chose that. And now they're realizing, you know what? It's time to actually step back in. Yeah. Many weren't ready to retire. And I'm actually wondering, this word retire, how long are we going to use this word for? You know, it used to be, my goodness, you work till you're 65 and then you retire. Not that way anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe this word is going to be retired soon. Maybe we'll have something different. Maybe it's going to be the sunset years of your career. But I think the word retire is going to be something that we, we start seeing less use of. And there's going to be a better word that comes along. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective altogether, right? It's just not as, uh, I think that there was a time when we used to think like, you know, it's so competitive in the workforce now, we got to move people out so we can get young blood and fresh faces in, but it's really not that case. We understand the importance and value of mentorship from people who've been uh, at it for years. And then as things continue to change, we all kind of work together. The diversity profile profile is what I find to be um, very significant here. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate the conversation and insights. Thanks for having me. Michael French is the National Director for Client Solutions at Robert Half Canada, joining us to talk about the study uh, on the trend of employers starting to bring back previously retired employees. Cool. What a great feeling, you know, just having those people, those words, and everybody's kind of settled down after their little bit of time off, getting back to work. I think it's all a plus. In the next hour of Kelly and Company, registered nurse Leslie DePoe, answers all of our questions that we could have about monkeypox. Up next, though, it's the Wednesday edition of Buzz with Bill with producer Bill Shackleton. Please stick around. Speech-to-text dictation on a smartphone is great most of the time. See you tomorrow. Your messages. 
see you, tomato. Ready to send it? No! This is Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. Hey, folks, Rummy and I are back with you. Appreciate you being here for the second hour of Kelly and Company. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. The repeat of the show at 5 p.m. Eastern time right here on AMI-audio. Thanks for hanging out with us wherever you are listening in. Well, on the second hour of the program, to kick it off, Wednesdays through Fridays, we welcome in Bill Shackleton. He's one of the producers over here. You can also check out something really cool. We call it the best of the buzz. Uh, go into your podcast feeds and uh, do a search for AMI exclusives, best of the buzz, and you'll find them. And uh, that's a compiled bunch of segment uh, pieces that uh, we call the best of the buzz. And it gets uploaded first Saturday of every month. Uh, so just fresh one up there now. Bill Shackleton, though, compiles a bunch of stuff, and we talk about it here on the program uh, before they become the best. So we kind of help Billy out here in creating what will become, because all of it, Billy, is the best. You just have to cut away the stuff that, well, that's the best, but can't fit the show, can't fit the podcast. Welcome back, sir. Yeah, well, there is there's the best of, and then there's the best of the best of. So yeah, it's, right. It's yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, it's, it's the stuff the that best. really makes more than the final cut because it all makes final cut. You just can't yeah. use it all, right? Yeah, we we have to make a decision mm-hmm. as to yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. Well, let's give an example. Where are we starting? Let's do this one. Social media offers parents more controls, but do they help? So Associated Press is bringing in this, bringing us this article, and the question, social media, it, it, the question of the article is, with all these filters that that these platforms are putting in to try to control what kids see or what they don't see, do they really help? If, for instance, um, some kids can get around some of these filters by lying about their age. Do they do they really help if parents don't know the technology or don't know enough what their kids are watching? Um, you know, do they really help if 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 companies are you know the more you search a website, the more you you're engaged, and do they really want to help kids? I mean, they're promoting the website, so why are they are are these filters really do they are they really serious about them? I guess. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think Bill, that's the whole thing when you have censoring in that way or what you want to classify as your filters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of parents, okay, first of all, there's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a large conversation, but parents have to have respect their kids' privacy. Uh, that's one thing. And they they have to. What, I mean, what if you don't understand the technology yourself as a parent? How do you know what kids are doing? So it's 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 very difficult. I think to. I mean, I think they do help, and but there's always going to be people that are going to beat the system. You know, and and you start wondering, right? Like, as a parent, your responsibilities, especially now. I mean, back in the day, it's funny, isn't it? Because. Kids seem to have less rights years ago, and you go back centuries, of course, none at all. 
uh, to to their privacy or whatever they did. Now there's a little more of that, hey, be respectful. But parents are also held to more accountability due to the system that, hey, you're responsible. If your kid's out doing this, you know, where are you? And understandably so, but it becomes a really tricky thing when you try to put things in to safeguard, to help, to kind of know. And there's got to be that trust of uh, especially where you start infringing on rights, privacy, or or do you want your child to feel growing up, well, I couldn't do it, I couldn't breathe without asking. And and kids, you know, your child has to, you know, I'm I'm growing up, mother, I know what I'm doing on the internet, and so on, and so on, and so on. So yeah, I mean, in the old days, you got the strap, but 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 the system's totally changed now. So I don't know what, I think they sort of do, but and 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 maybe they don't. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is such a hard thing to decide because for each person, for you know, some some people, you give them all the freedoms, you you take off some of these things we're talking about, and they're totally fine. Others, you know, you 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 know, I got to be a little more careful and keep a bit of an eye, you know, open. No matter whether yeah. you like that or not, or put these things in place, and you're you're definitely going to get fooled, or or someone's going, as you said, Bill, find a way to beat it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Next thing. And parents parents are overworked, so that's another thing to consider. Right. right. Um, yeah. Let's go on to this one. This is an interesting one. As Spider Man turns sixty, fans reflect on diverse appeal. So there are there are cartoons that back in my day. Um, that really promoted a message, like Popeye the Sailor Man was promoting eating your vegetables. Um, Smokey the Bear was another good one. And this Spider-Man is one of these cartoons where no matter how old you are, whether you're a man or a woman or you're 20 or you're 40 or you're 60, there is good. There, it's as good a cartoon now as it was back then. And it isn't just a costume. It's what Spider-Man promotes. They are, when you think of society today, you think of, you know, everybody's wrapped up in themselves and who's going to help the little guy? Well, Spider-Man is, was a man that did that. He didn't care whether you were black or white or how rich or how poor you were. He helped, would help the little guy save his town from whatever. And I it's what what's important about this to me is that there are people still <clears throat> although they may be hard to find in some sometimes that are <clears throat> willing to help the little guy and are willing to transcend they don't care who you are if you need help you need help. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the message this cartoon um is is promoted the fact that we don't care whether you're rich or poor. If we'll help you. It's the definition of a superhero too, right? Like when you compare Spider-Man to, I mean, I I think of kind of the Marvel series that, that have all come out and now you, you get the, the stories behind the heroes, but uh, it wasn't always the case. It was always, you know, Batman or like just uh, like suited suited superheroes like people who are just out there they're you know bigger than us better than us more powerful than us but um i guess what they were highlighting in this article is really that um spider-man 
and to quote them, it turned this idea on its head and made yeah. it so that this guy, this normal everyday person, um, just fights for what's right, fights for justice. And that's what they want to kind of remember, the legacy of yeah. Spider-Man. See, I always found, too, with Peter Parker, he was this person pushed around by other people and couldn't just go and be Spider-Man yeah. and be obnoxious or anything like that. He didn't have the like privileges. He, he, he didn't. And he also, though, knew what power he had. A, a huge responsibility came with that. Of course. Um, yeah. And I found I find it really interesting because, I mean, I think we think all these superheroes they they do good they help out the, you know the the weaker person or whatever but some things and i think with with uh, spider-man being in new york the the original settings i think a lot of that lent itself to it i also funny enough this past weekend um was listening to an old-time radio show it was actually lassie um they had an actual radio show of yeah. lassie the dog and billy you know what i mean that the dog that yep, made a lot I of sure movies do. there was always lassie yep. movies but one of the uh, the host of the show, the story was about guide dogs. Yeah. And at this time, they were talking about a specific guide dog school, and this is 1950s. And the promo about the school said something that I, funny enough, and again, this is a different world now, and being here in Canada, not something I thought about, and older folks listening in probably can attest to this, but I've never thought about the fact that in this promo, the discussion was there that anyone could apply for a guide dog. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm stopping and saying, well, yeah, of course they can. No, they went out of their way to point out no matter what background, no matter what ethnic background, you are welcomed here. And, and I, it surprised me, Bill, because I never really thought, naively, I guess enough, of that being an issue that a person of color, a person economically, whatever – could apply for a dog in the 1940s and be refused on where you live. Well, and as, as you say, things, things were different back then. And, and yet, and yet they are, and, and yet they weren't, like you say, they promoted something that should have been promoted and it, it shouldn't matter. And yet a lot of issues that we talk about, it did matter back in those days. And it's nice to know that some of these issues that like your, the show um, sort of turn that on its head and say, yeah, we don't care who you are. You can apply. It's definitely, and sometimes it's just, you throw it, uh, it goes past us, right? Because we don't think about it that way. Um, but when someone points it out, like you mentioned in the promo, Kelly, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe that's not a given. And it's being spoken in this old time radio show where for me a lot of that stuff it was never touched you know i i you know again there's lots of things said that then that is different than what you would say now and and there's always things whether it's tv today or radio back then that you would say hey that we don't say that anymore that's inappropriate okay but when this was and, and of course i felt silly of course there'd be places where some people wouldn't be welcomed even getting a mm-hmm. guide dog so mm-hmm. Very, very interesting moment that I had with that, Bill, and going back to what Ramya was saying about, and you about Spider-Man and that feel, uh, it really does make you stop and say, okay, you know, that underdog is there, but also the people that we otherwise wouldn't see. And I think we have to remember, yeah, this is way back when, 60 years ago, a very different time, and to showcase those people, and maybe I didn't notice as a kid because it was at that point, you know, 
20 years before. Bill, we'll talk to you tomorrow, pal. Talk to you tomorrow. Wow, lots to think about, folks. Really cool. Um, Bill Shackleton joins us for the buzz right here on Kelly and Company, and we do this uh, Wednesday through Fridays. Coming up in just a moment, registered nurse Leslie Depoe joins us, and she's been answering our questions. Anything we want to know about monkeypox? Please join us in a moment. Find Kelly and Company right from your TV. AMI-audio can be found, MTS customers over on channel 704 and Eastlink channel 887. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And Kels, because we check in with our registered nurse Leslie Depot once a month on the second Wednesday, we get to ask a lot of questions and today we get the chance to do that about monkeypox. So let's bring her on. I'm Leslie Depoe, registered nurse. Until I got into healthcare, I didn't realize how many people around me had questions about taking care of their own health. So I'm really happy to share some of those answers with you. Join me for the monthly health check-in and we'll talk about everyday questions about everyday health. We've been hearing a lot about monkeypox over the last few months. And on July 23rd, the uh, World Health Organization officially declared monkeypox a global health emergency. And it seemed like a good time because of that uh, to talk more about it, debunk some of these myths and understand what we can do to protect ourselves, to protect our loved ones. And of course, to, as we always do, ask our questions. Leslie, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you guys doing? Happy summer. Happy summer. Exactly. I was like, we just talked sunscreens. We talked other things. Right? <laughs> so let's talk about this. So where do we begin? I'm, I'm assuming maybe where we always do with the definition. Yes, as they say in the sound of music, we'll, we'll begin at the beginning. So nice. um, we'll just kind of understand the basics of what this is. And obviously, it's a pretty hot topic these days. So I just want to have a, a good chat. I'll try and answer questions as best as I can as we go through this stuff. So monkeypox is another virus um, that we're hearing lots about. It's a zoonotic virus. And so that really just means it can pass from animals to humans as well as humans to humans. Um, we think, as far as we know so far, infection is sort of the virus enters our body through our skin um, or perhaps even our respiratory tract or mucous membranes as well. We know it can affect individuals of all ages. Um, however, and this is kind of interesting, people that have a history of smallpox vaccination, so it's not not everybody, uh, depending on when you were born, really, um, you act, they might actually have some protective advantage because uh, this virus sort of comes from the same family. Uh, historically, uh, these sort of sustained outbreaks um, with very large number of people is not something we've seen a lot. Um, we've mostly just seen the, these outbreaks in endemic areas. So the thing that's sort of interesting about what we're seeing right now and that started to happen in, in the spring and May of this year is that we saw multiple cases of monkeypox identified in non-endemic countries. So we're st certainly still studying um, kind of how we can understand that further. Okay. Interesting too, because, uh, you know, as we were coming out of the pandemic, I'm going to say it the way that I've heard it said. As we are coming out of the pandemic, <laughs> um, our bodies are, are not used to certain things. We're going to see a lot of things. So before we go any further, can we have a clarification around pandemic versus endemic, please? I think yeah. that a lot of time the words seem to be a little 
you know, hazy and people aren't really clear on the meanings. Yeah, absolutely. And I love a double definition day. It's, it's my absolute favorite. Um, so absolutely. <laughs> um, so a pandemic, which is what we keep hearing with COVID. So a pandemic, that's when a disease's growth is exponential. So growth rates skyrocket each day. Cases grow more than the day before. Um, it also means it covers a wide area. So several countries are having this at the same time, several different populations. That's pandemic. An endemic is when something is consistently present, but it's really limited to a particular region. Um, so it kind of makes our the, the disease spread and the rates of that a little bit more predictable. So malaria is a really good example. That is, that is kind of an ongoing thing, but in certain populations and certain areas of the world. Um, and again, the, the thing about monkeypox that's really interesting is that monkeypox has always been endemic. It has existed in parts of the, of the world all the time at very predictable rates and very specific pockets. A lot of that related to the animals that can transmit this virus. What's interesting about what we're seeing right now is that monkeypox has actually moved out of that endemic state. So we're starting to see it in places that don't normally have it, Canada being one of those countries. So this is great. Uh, Thank you for kind of breaking all this down for us. And now that we know what it is, what's going on, should we be worried? Yeah, great place to start. So I'm going to say no cause for panic. Okay, Um, monitoring and surveillance has ramped up. And sometimes then you hear like the the who the the, uh, World Health Organization or the CDC or Health Canada, these large government health agencies declare these emergencies, these global emergencies or even local emergencies. Keep in mind, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. And often that can be because when we make those designation, it allows for greater collaborations between different countries. That also means more efficient and fluid allocation of funds and resources. So, I mean, on a case count in Canada, like total, we are give or take around a thousand. So not even close to what you've been seeing with COVID, for example. Uh, Really, really what we need to do is just start to understand this so we can address proper education and, and to kind of take our own power in this sort of understanding those transmission signs and symptoms, treatment and prevention. Okay. So Leslie, let's start with transmission. How is this being spread? Yeah, absolutely. So um, great question. I'm going to get into all these details. I first just want to start by addressing some really dangerous misinformation that seems to be out there right now about transmission. So um, some news organizations were started to kind of report this narrative that monkeypox was only affecting men that have sex with other men. And I just want to, this is very much not the case. Yes, we've seen some some sort of clusters in that population, but to sort of, I, I just want to bol- kind of debunk this before we start, because there's a lot of that going out there. And it's, it's not necessarily malicious, although maybe it is, but um, really it just means that we're not going to get the proper information. Uh, so there's really three different ways monkeypox can be transmitted. One is animal to human. Okay. So there are animals, like I said, in certain parts of the world um, that can carry this virus transmitted. It could be a scratch, a bite, it could be licking. The other one is human to human. So this is what we're seeing a lot of right now from an infected person's kind of skin lesions, because we get these sort of pox, these little um, almost look like pimples sometimes, uh, could be from blood, from body fluids, from um, mucosal surfaces as well. Um, even people that are providing care to somebody in the same household could be a sexual contact. We're, we think we've got some transmission that's taking place with infected droplets, so coughing and sneezing. We don't know too much about airborne right now, so we're still learning as we go. Um, and then the other piece is fomites. Fomites is just a, a non-animate object. Um, so that can mean like somebody that was cleaning the beds or linens of somebody that was infected with it. You could pick it up that way as well. So should we continue and talk about transmission, uh, how it's being spread and the debunking, I think, is going to be a big part of all this, too. 
Yeah, for sure. And so the, the other thing to keep in mind is is sort of what we're looking for when we see these signs and symptoms. So individuals get this sort of rash, these distinct pox or, or sores kind of look like blisters sometimes. Sometimes they have a little bit of fluid inside, but they can often be really itchy and painful. Um, and right now we believe that contagiousness begins with the onset of those symptoms. So, and people remain contagious until the scabs have kind of fallen off, very similar to shingles actually in a lot of ways, um, different family of viruses, but uh, but same presentation in that, in that uh, regard. Um, and classically, we've got two phases of monkeypox. So first we've got the invasion phase. So you may or may not have blisters, but a lot of times people are reporting like fevers, chills, uh, swollen lymph nodes, either on one side or on both kind of flu-like feelings that last sort of the zero to five days. And then we end up with these pox, these actual vesicles on our skin. And that can actually last maybe two to four weeks in total, um, can be all over the body, including palms of the feet, hands, uh, mouth and, and genital area as well. Is it deadly? Yeah. And so in Canada, from what we've seen so far, rarely. Severe cases can occur. There can be some fatalities. But by and large, the case fatality rate kind of depends on exactly which version of this virus we're looking at and a whole bunch of other factors that we have to kind of put together as a bigger picture. And how about the prevention? Is it preventable? Mm -hmm. Is it treatable? Yeah, absolutely. So we can treat it. We do have some existing treatments actually for smallpox, again, because they're they're related, they're in the same family um, that have been really helpful. So we have some antivirals, we have some vaccines that are being used as well. Um, that's, but primarily the treatment itself is supportive. So that means we're treating the actual symptoms, fever, pain, itchiness, that kind of thing. In terms of prevention, um, again, like the transmission, we're still learning so much about that. So really what we've learned in general, and I'd like to say like we've learned a lot since COVID, um, as, as a general population, we've learned a lot about public health measures. And so we can certainly, there's a lot of transferable skills we already know that are going to serve us really well with monkeypox. Quite honestly, right. they're going to serve as well in flu season. You know, these are really great principles that we've all picked up on. So if you're feeling unwell, stay home. Uh, practice good respiratory hygiene. That means, you know, if you're going to be in a small enclosed space, you're wearing a mask. If you're going to cough, you're doing it into the corner of your elbows. If you're going to sneeze, you're not, you're not doing it into the person's face behind you at Walmart. <laughs> So we're just making some good choices from that perspective. If you're seeing blisters on your skin, you need to be assessed by a healthcare professional. Um, and the reason for that is twofold. Obviously, you know, if, if it is that, if it is monkeypox, you want to be able to properly track that and properly treat and support you. And the other thing is, is that it can be something else. Like if you're seeing something that isn't your baseline, whatever that may be, you're always wise to have that looked at, to have a conversation with your healthcare provider. And then, of course, make smart, uh, smart choices about who you share your space with and who you share your body with, practice safe sex. Um, I've included some links as well. Uh, not, not the normal fun ones. I really love to include when I share them <laughs> with you guys, but I just want people to have access to some really credible sources to follow. Um, because ultimately as we always are in healthcare, we are learning as we go. So expect the information to change. Okay. Nobody's coming out. Certainly not me saying, listen, I have the definitive all knowing knowledge about monkeypox. I know what we know today. Um, and that's all any of us can know. So expect the information to change when we have new data to support that. Expect us to either ramp up or ramp down our responses, depending on what we're seeing in the community. I just think it's a matter of, you know, as we often speak on this segment, which I love so much to be able to do, it's about empowering individuals to have this kind of knowledge so that you can make educated decisions about what you choose to do or not do 
whatever your choices might be. There's just no sadder, sadder thing to hear in healthcare than, gee, if only I had known. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's that's the best thing to take away from this is, is just to be aware. And, and like I said, we've got such great skills already because of what the pandemic, unfortunately, gave us. Um, but but we do have some really great skills that are that are quite transferable and hopefully will serve us well here. And as we did with the beginning of the pandemic, there were so many things told to us that we've talked about. Stay home. You're sick. That The most basic mm-hmm. kind of thing that we have said for years uh, due to the flu, due to just the common cold because of, hey, you don't want to give this to someone. And yet we had to be reminded, wash your hands. We had to be reminded, mm-hmm. spend the time doing it. Um, when it comes to things like being around somebody, if if you uh, you know live with people or whatever, a family, and someone has come in contact or a dorm situation, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 do you have to be very careful of the things a person comes in contact with? We talk about obviously fluids and 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 um, you know more closer contact, but if someone shares a bathroom with you or someone, sh- you yeah. know, what what are the one things that you know? No, no, you need your own space here. This this is okay. Yeah. And I mean, it's a great question. It's so hard to depending on your living situation, you know, those with young families, those that have got multiple generations in the same home, you know, it's a pretty different story. If you've been somebody, you know, everybody in the family has got their own bathroom. Well, wouldn't that be convenient? But I don't, I don't know if if most of us have that (laughs) life. Um, So what I would certainly say is, you know, as best you can, things that are personal items, toothbrushes, I would like to think, you know, we each have our own, but just be mindful of things like that, not sharing your glasses. Mm -hmm. I always tell families too, if you can, like everyone should have their own face cloth. Everyone should have their own bath towel um, just as best you can, you know, honestly. um, And that's that's the truth of it. You know, we can only do what we can do. We take the best information we have. We apply it to our own circumstances and we have to work within the reality of what that is. I think just the knowledge and, and having these open conversations is so helpful because hopefully the first thing that happens is you say, gee, something doesn't look right or doesn't feel right. And you go and have that looked at as opposed to sort of, you know, shuffling it under the rug or thinking, well, gee, it, you know, Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's nothing is is absolutely a fair a fair assumption. But just going that extra step, knowing you know, being able to use that knowledge as power, um, is certainly what we what we are hoping to do. Yeah, it's really um, something to think about, and and I can't help but wonder, you know, if it wasn't for COVID nineteen and everything that we're living through right now would we even be as cautious um, about the next thing, right? And as you know, we know the monkeypox have been around, but um, would we have the mindset that we do, the the cautiousness and the questioning of how mm-hmm. we should be acting? So it's it's really quite interesting doing it from this end than uh, before because like chickenpox have been around forever, but do we really talk about it? Not really. Right. Isn't that so true? And I think you'll see a lot of that as we ramp up into the fall as well. This is going to mm-hmm. be, you know, sort of our first flu season when we're all back in each other's spaces and back at the yep. office. And, you know, so I think, I think, again, I think we learned some really great public health, uh, you know, uh, public health pieces, knowledge, some skills and tools that we can use going into any season like this. Um, but you know, we, we also just need to caution ourselves to, to, you know, reading what's in front of us, uh, you know, following those trusted sources again, not causing panic when we don't need to, but certainly trying to, to keep ourselves safe. For sure. Leslie, thank you so much. Appreciate your monthly visits. Thanks guys. Leslie DePoe is our registered nurse joining us on the second Wednesday of every month. And in a moment, when we return from the break, we get into a conversation while we re-listen to a conversation with our resident foodie, Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession. Come on back. We'll talk to you in a moment.
Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. And Mary Mamalidi is not available today. So we're going to dive into the archives. And Ram, one of the things that I learned from the segment that we're going to present is that fun people have with their air fryer, but also some of the things that they make a person think twice and think, you know what, instead of, like, I was, I'm a person who's worried about, oh, I don't need to start eating more fried food. Mm. I don't eat a lot now. I don't need to start excusing myself saying, yeah, yeah, but it's better. But there's so many different things you can do with it as... I got the opportunity to learn from this segment that we had with Mary. This is from April 20th, what you can and can't do with an air fryer. Latest podcast drops today of uh, Kitchen Confession. We'll try to get to that a little later on, tell you a little bit more, but certainly go over and check it out, the uh, Kitchen Confession podcast. Today, Mary, we're going to talk about air fryers and what we should or shouldn't cook in it. How are you? I am fantastic now that I'm speaking with you. Oh, I like that. Rum? Wow. That's nice, eh? Thank you. All right, here's here's the money. Okay, can nice. pass her off that money. Right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about what we can. I think that's probably the easiest place uh, to start with. What can we cook in the popular air fryer? Yes, let's start with what we can. You can air fry almost anything these days. I want to say almost mm. because I do have a list of a couple of things that we shouldn't, but let's get to what we can. Why wouldn't you want to use an air fryer? So I've had mine for so long, for a few years now, but I'm going to be honest. I have never used it as much as I have over these last few months. It's, it's like I'm rediscovering it all over and so many different things now to make with it. So these appliances are now, they've taken over everyone's kitchen. And if not, people are thinking about it and really, you know, talking to others that have tried air fryers and that have used them. The reason why is because these air fryers, they imitate the results of deep frying. So What it does, it's got intense hot air with only a fraction of the oil, and that's how it cooks and and gives you that deep-fried feel to the foods that we have in it. So I've got five surprising things that you can make in the air fryer. So the first one, prepare to have your minds blown. You can use the air fryer to make cookies. Ooh. Right? So this one I have a chance. Ooh, I hear cookie monster growling now. Right? So good. Except I do want to caution this. So you can make cookies, but just make sure that you're following a recipe that's specific for an air fryer. Because again, right, the times vary. The cook times definitely change. And the temperature at the cook time is changing when you're using an air fryer. And you're also going to be cooking them in smaller batches because unless you've got this jumbo air fryer, which that would be ideal, you can't make a full dozen at a time because you don't want to overcrowd the basket. Next. So for that one, for the first one for cookies, definitely follow an air fryer cookie recipe. Two, homemade chips. If you haven't tried this, yep, highly recommend. Try it. You could use potatoes, plain old potatoes, but try making it with mm-hmm. pita chips, right? Try pita doing the chips. pita chips. I've even done it with carrots, right? Like the straight up thinly sliced carrots. So good. So good. A little bit of olive oil, a little bit of oil of any choice that you want. Salt. And fry and uh, air fry them. The so carrots good. makes it Great even snacks. healthier idea. That's that's cool. Uh, yeah, telling me. And did you get that nice little crisp on them? Yep, yep, yep. It's oh. it's just you know slice them thin and do it. Same thing with eggplant. I've done it that way where it comes out more like a saute, um, but still. Yeah, so good. Did you know you can make hard boiled eggs in the, in the air fryer? 
So this one, it surprised me. Yeah, it surprised me. And I've tried it. The key is also when you are making these eggs, don't take them directly from the refrigerator into the air fryer. Right. Uh, You may have a couple of them that just burst on you because they're just a little too cold. Just have them sit out a little bit and then put them in. So we can't call them hard boiled, but we can call them hard cooked eggs because we're not boiling them in the air fryer. But you don't even you don't need water with this. So you just put them into the basket of the air fryer, cook them, submerge them once they come out into an ice bath, uh, sorry, a nice bath, and then just peel them when they're ready to eat. That's That's it. Wild. And what's the taste difference to you? Any? I wouldn't imagine much. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine because Mm -hmm. it's not like the water touches it or anything when you boil it. Uh, Mayor, can I go back just because I'm curious of the chips? Again, as you mentioned with the cookies, you're making a dozen, that kind of thing. Any any Mm -hmm. kind of warning there with whatever you use, whether it's rums, carrots, or or potatoes to make the chips in the basket? Just go with the extent of the basket, what it can hold, and any warning Mm -hmm. there? Yes, and you don't want to overcrowd. Okay. I don't know if you found that, Ramya, but when you overcrowd the basket, right, you don't get, you'll still get that little bit of crisp that you like, but if you want that really crisp um, taste to it, you got to be patient. If you overcrowd, what'll happen? You'll get parts that are soft, like it just literally won't, because it won't be exposed. Exactly. The first ever time exactly. I did it, I didn't care about any of the rules and I overlapped, totally layered. But honestly, it just it's, came out it, as a deep fried ball. It's bad. Yeah, like the, the top layer were chips and the rest of them were just <laughs> uh, mush. And <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. So I think the key to an air fryer and and some of us have learned this the hard way, myself and Remy included, is that mm-hmm. we can't overcrowd the basket. No matter how tempting it is, isn't it? No matter yeah, how honestly, I am really don't, even so if don't, you think don't do it. When even you're if you hungry. think, oh, I'll just continually shake, like I'll shake every two minutes, but that's just counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, it uh, just it. <laughs> so don't do it when nothing. you're hungry, right, Mayor? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Give yourself a bit of grace period where where you're like, okay, I'll be hungry. I'm hungry now, but I'm not starving yet. Like my my stomach's not yelling at me. Yeah, yeah. Like I've made chicken wings. No joke, they were fantastic. They were phenomenal. So good. So yep. good, but again, I didn't overcrowd it. So that one, I was patient. <laughs> Ramya, what did you do? Get it and use it for every day for three, literally. All right, uh, two years. There was a good four months where I just wasn't making food if I, I wasn't air frying it. Like yeah. it was, wow. it was only air fryable food. Oh, it's a it good happens. thing or better. Honestly, yeah. you get really addicted to this thing because again, the timing, the cook the time is cut in half. Yeah. Then you yes. get that crisp. And it's just, it, it checks a lot of boxes for a lot of people. Trust. Chicken tenders, chicken nuggets. So air fryers, they work wonders when it comes to frozen foods. So take a shortcut. If you're, you know, ready to have dinner, you don't have much time, go grab a chicken, some chicken nuggets or some tenders from the frozen aisle in your grocery store, right in the freezer section, pop them into that air fryer, 400 degrees Fahrenheit for about 10 to 12 minutes. Again, don't quote me on that, but. A lot of the air fryers, they're roughly 10 to 12 at 400 degrees for the chicken nuggets. Mine is more on the 12-minute side. Um, Gauge it from your end as to the crispness and the doneness that you like. Um, But you will have them cooked through. How about something like egg rolls? Yes. I hear you can do that. Oh, yes. Yes, egg rolls. Egg rolls, phenomenal. I mean, with the air samosas. All of that. (laughs) Because you get that. You don't have to worry about overcooking. The inside, it ends up being, you know, you get that beautiful, perfectly cooked inside, that crispy fried texture on the outside. And that's why it mm-hmm. works so well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes in the oven or if you're deep frying them, you're not, well, deep frying is deep frying. I mean, we can't, I love a deep fried anything. Um, but it's really, I mean, my body doesn't love it so much. Right. So this was my compromise. Yeah, because yeah, it's but, a healthier body shouldn't love it too much or mm-hmm. or have it too much. And as we work through this list, we're seeing, I think now we're a month and a half into Rumya's cooking experiences because everything you <laughs> yeah, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I tried that. And out. then we start to upgrade. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait till we get to all the mistakes and all the stuff she threw out. Trust me, that, that, that was half of the four-month period, just trying things and be like, oh, this can't be air fried. <laughs> I'm ridiculous. I have been looking at the Breville. Um, it's the air fryer convection oven tabletop all in one thingamajiggies it's so good and it's bigger so yeah i'm i'm ridiculous with this right now so so, that's what i was gonna say mary don't care about the counter space i can accomplish more though if i have this yeah (laughs) i'm gonna pull up one of those folding tables here's my air fryer that's right Um, (laughs) and what i love about it is you can cook things from frozen oh you know i mean Kids come home, you're, they're hungry, whatever you want, fries. They go directly from the freezer into the air fryer. No mm-hmm. thawing, and they're still beautifully crisp. I've done vegetables. Brussels sprouts are delicious in them. Oh, um, good. Yeah, so good. And I've done, oh, my God, I've done so many crispy chick, uh, chickpeas as a snack. I've oh, done I did it that in too there. the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. So good. So many We're things. We're just honestly writing eat. the commercial for air fryers right now. So <laughs> maybe... <laughs> maybe let's move to the things that we honestly can't make in the air fryer. Um, right. Maybe we figured this out ourselves. Maybe we've read about them. <laughs> now, remember, I'm talking to you all now because I'm rediscovering my air fryer. <laughs> Talk to oh. me in about a month or so. Um, it's still... <laughs> well, I got joking. thinking about this and thinking, did we already have this conversation or is it because Rumi has been bringing it up? It's it's something that it makes me feel like we should have talked so about much. this like a while ago, like two years ago, Mayor. I'm telling you, but it's just, it's come back full circle and, and these <laughs> yeah. air fryers are back and in two it's years, almost like the nineties. You don't, yeah, you don't want that style to come back. It's come back. Right. So, so has mm-hmm. the air fryer. <laughs> what we should never cook in an air fryer. This one here, um, thankfully others, they've made these mistakes for us. So we don't have to really go ahead and do them. So before you dive into cooking with your air fryer, here are a few items that will not work. Um, hey, you can try them, but I can tell you what will happen. So if you tried, battered foods. Unless the food is pre-fried or frozen, you want to avoid placing a wet batter into the air fryer. Because aside from the mess that it's going to make, the wet batter, it won't set the way it does when you're submerging that in hot oil. There are just some things that can only be deep fried. That is one. Talking about like a chicken Parmesan type thing. No, or like battered like, fried uh, fish or something like weird like that. Like a battered fish, like a beer battered okay. fish. Oh. So something right. like that, um, or anything beer battered for that matter. If you have it in the deep fryer, delicious. Put it in your air fryer. It's going to create one heck of a mess for you. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's just better off in hot oil or deep fried. Um, or if you don't want to make it yourself, go visit someone to make it. But <laughs> I wouldn't recommend putting that in there. But if you do want a little bit of crunch on that food, like you mentioned, um, coat it with some flour, egg, and mm-hmm. then dredge it, dredge it in breadcrumbs. And then, then you yeah, can that put works. that spray, yeah, spray some oil over top and then pop that into your um, air fryer basket. That so something like scallops or something. Could you do that with the breadcrumbs? Yes. 
Yeah, like chicken with a bread style. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, with a breadcrumb, definitely. Um, but that wet batter just will not work properly, or leafy greens for that matter. So if we're talking something like a light leafy green, like spinach, it'll cook unevenly because there's no there's that high speed air that circulates in the air fryer. So you need something that's going to stay put in the basket, right. right? So with the the spinach, there's a chance that it'll move around. You might get burning on that. So the vegetables, they won't cook evenly in the air fryer when you're using the spinach. So you need a little more weight. So something like broccoli, zucchini, um, kale should work. And the reason why I say that is because kale, although it's a leaf, it's a little thicker, but it also, if you dredge it enough in the oil, um, and you coat it, not dredge it, I apologize, coat enough in the oil, <laughs> then that'll stay put. <laughs> I'm trying to talk healthy and I'm saying dredge Might as well it deep oil. fry, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I say just, you know, coat it in some oil, pop it into your air fryer, and you're good to go with that. Um, oh, frozen veggies, frozen mm-hmm. veggies work great in there as well because they retain the moisture as you're, fry- as you're air frying them. Okay, great. They don't dry out as quickly. I want to talk about roasts because although you can do a roast in almost anything, you can in your air fryer, but there's a little trick to it because when you put it in, you want to think of the height of the roast. The air fryers, they cook from the top down. So the part that of the roast that's higher up in the basket is closer to the element of where it's starting to cook the heat. So it'll burn the top. And like Ramya said, her chips were kind of crispy on top and mushy at the bottom. You'll get that uneven cook with the roast. So what I recommend, again, no overcrowding, cut them up into pieces. Oh, yes. And then cook it that way. At least you have them all in one single layer in the basket and they'll cook evenly. Okay. Other thing is if you're, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish that. Okay, last one. Chicken. If you're cooking chicken, cook it with the breast side down, skin side up. This way, the air fryer, again, heat from the top, crisps up that uh, chicken breast. Nice and nice. Nice and neat. Okay. Uh, What about cheese itself and raw grains? I think they're on your list too. Yeah. Mm -mm. No cheese. Cheese, unless it's coated in something, you don't want just plain cheese in there because it'll melt all over the place. And then raw grains. Raw grains, they need to be boiled first. So you boil them and then you can put them in the um, air fryer to make that viral pasta chip thing where they cook up and they they crisp up nice and easily, but not if they're just raw. They need to be submerged in water. So I've been fighting myself because I don't, I've never been really a deep fried food eater, a lot of it, but so many mm-hmm. things sound so amazingly good that I keep saying, no, 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 you don't need it. Even though it's a little healthier, you don't need it. So my doctor will be the judge of that. Uh, what's the latest on the Kitchen <laughs> Confession podcast, Mayor? Podcast. We have Salted Caramels with Julia Cho. Julia Cho from Purdy's Chocolatier. Um, I know you all know her very well. She's lovely. She recently talked about the collaboration with the um, with our community the blind and partially sighted to, to put together the chocolates, uh, the Braille box, Ramya, which you know very well. But we've also talked about um, after and what they've learned while creating this um, nice. product and, and while they, and the process of when they were going through it, what they've learned, um, which I thought was really interesting. And she's lovely. She's so much fun. Yeah. She Podcast is. drops today, folks. So you can check that out. Keep the, the pretty chocolate on your mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mayor, thank you kindly. Thank you.
So, of course, search out the podcast, guys. Uh, download it using your favorite podcast platform. Always wonderful. Oh, the Purdy's thing. I just remember your discussions with us about Purdy's and having them on the program room. Nice. And uh, so many people have told me great things about that ability to uh, be able to pick out their own chocolate, to know what the heck is in it. So really nice mm-hmm. way to finish. Also, on Deep Fryers, what to and not to do. Loved it. Uh, that was from April 20th, our conversation with Mary Mammoliti. I learned a lot of stuff there. You can go and check that out via the Kelly & Company podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Of course, also uh, go to kitchenconfession.com and read up on recipes. Everything Mary's got there available to you. Check it all out. Okay. Think Rum, we're almost ready to wrap the show. Oh, oh, some business at hand. We can see what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown, talk a little bit about today's show, and tell you a little bit about our show tomorrow as well. We'll do that after this break, right here on AMI Audio. Just a reminder to check us out, since I mentioned it earlier, our podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly & Company podcast experience. All available to you. Just simply subscribe. Uh, and uh, appreciate a rating and review if you don't mind while you're in there. Also, Leslie DePoe was talking to us earlier about monkeypox. You want to check that segment out, but also uh, just a reminder to go and check out some of the links that we have posted, ami.ca slash Co to do so. So, Rum, uh, again, a top-notch segment from Leslie giving us a lot of information and, of course, kind of dispelling some of the what we're not sure of, what we think, as well as recognizing as we walk through um, this situation with monkeypox, what we don't know, but also lining us up to realize, hey, guys, we've done a lot of work with the pandemic and a lot of these same things uh, can be in place to help us along in getting through uh, this as as it starts mm-hmm. going across the globe. Uh, any segments or comments you have? Uh, yeah, just comments to, to follow up on what you're saying about Leslie. It is interesting, too, when I really think about, um, you know, where we were a couple years ago and the panic and stress and anxiety uh, of COVID getting bigger and us not knowing what the heck was going on and where we could go from here. Now, obviously, monkeypox is a whole different situation. But in terms of mindset, I feel like we are a little more okay to be prepped uh, to want to have the the questions out there and answered um, and especially to listen to our health professionals, which is why uh, Leslie coming on is a huge benefit for us here and talking about monkeypox. Um, we also talked TV with Greg David and highlighted Canadian television shows. What makes them Canadian? The point system. Um, he broke that down for us and just the general importance and significance of having this around why the CRTC, you know, acknowledges all these different parts in creating and understanding what a television show is when it's categorized as being Canadian. So it was cool. We had a lot of different examples as well on TV shows you might know, um, and it was nice to break that down. In broadcast school, we would talk about what would um, 
constitute Canadian content in, in the way of songs because we knew about the amount of music that had to be played on stations uh, in Canada to make sure that our Canadian content was being pushed out there and, and people were aware of it and it was it was getting recognized. But there was also that same kind of categories, you you know, to get those points, that system, um, and sometimes it was really strange. You, you just didn't know how, well, how does this song constitute Canadian, whether it might have been yep. an American band that produced their work in Canada, used studios here, or or whatever. It sometimes was the strangest thing. So uh, when Greg mentioned that, too, as we were wrapping up, kind of interesting thing to, to think about, and, and we did a lot of that, and I know I remember being... Uh, confused with some of that too so if you're kind of curious about those things obviously listen to greg's segment but also uh check that out to uh, google it and see what does make up uh when it comes to music uh tomorrow morning 9 a.m in the morning rum uh we have now with dave brown here on the network can you give us an idea what they've got on tap yes on tomorrow's uh thursday show they have becky czar community reporter in regina saskatchewan joining them she's sharing an experience that she had with an online shopping store i'm hoping that it was a positive experience but we'll find out when becky gets there uh sean priest from double tap canada is giving us details on the newly unveiled galaxy z flip 4 and galaxy z fold 4 phones i say z but it might be z i think it's z Anyways, new features on these devices. We'll find out more about that. Uh, plus, Sylvie Fiquette, our content development specialist in Vancouver, is giving us um, details about a program that connects guide dogs with people with disabilities in BC. What would make you think it should be a Z? All Rams? All Rams a Z? a Z? But I guess it's not Canadian, right? These phones? I don't know. We're in Canada. You can say Z. But if the phone's American? Doesn't matter. <laughs> They have a mix of... But it's a model name. They have a mix of metric and imperial systems. True. So there you go. Well, they don't mind. Okay. So do we. I'm Talk to you tomorrow. very wrong. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Michael Fair will dip into a series of mysteries by BBC Radio called Recall Man. Fern Lullum will be with us as well to uh, highlight the Commonwealth Games held in Birmingham, UK. And that was at the end of July 2022. Also on the show, Montreal community reporter Matthew Rochette highlights Judo Chaikin. We have the Thursday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. We'll also flip through some quirky stories from around the world with Jeff Ryman when he returns to the program. That, of course, on uh, What in the World. And our guest for the Thursday roundtable tomorrow is AMI-TV Toronto reporter Alex Smythe, who was here earlier in the week with us. We hang out again tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Hopefully you can be with us tomorrow for the show. I'm waving at you. Good night, folks. One of the biggest questions, most common questions I got, when I was doing television wasn't, how do I do this? How do I do that? Maybe what the experience was like was a close second, runner-up, to, so does the company buy you your wardrobe? Now, again, <laughs> I think if the company was buying me my wardrobe, there would be that person put in place, and there would be no way it was kind of hit and miss Kelly doing a pick of what to wear. I think it would have been, okay, on this shoot, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and hey, bring the, leave the clothes, bring extra set of clothes so we can return them. <laughs> There's always those uh, deals, from my understanding, with a lot of TV um, where stuff is basically borrowed, right? If, if 
if you're in a play or TV series, they have wardrobe where there's all sorts of stuff they borrow. And, and I've done some of that stuff where I've had to go get fitted for something. Uh, they check to see if they have it. Me being a big guy that, well, let's see if we have it or if we have to buy another one. Um, it's, a, it's a fun experience. But when you're doing a show like when I was doing Blindsided, it was my own stuff. From the fedoras to the clothing. I mean, yes, if I had wrecked something, okay. Or if we were doing something where I was going to be given a shirt. Oh, I picked up several shirts at different events because they'd say, hey, this is good advertising for us if we're teaching him this or showing him that. Here, we got a big shirt for you. Wear it. And I like that. I, I kind of like that. I have a bunch of them that were, were left to me to keep. And they're kind of nice mementos of doing blindsided. So I, I kind of... Uh, had fun with that. But otherwise, it was my own own stuff. Now, do I love the idea of a wardrobe being purchased? Well, I, I do kind of like my own stuff. If I'm given a budget and told, go out and get it, you get to formulate your style. Obviously, you know what you should have when you're on TV and shouldn't have in the way of clashing and things like that. But when I was shooting Blindsided, we had so many different segments. In every one, I was wearing different stuff anyway different hats. I mean, sometimes you'd go through an episode and you'd see at least three or four of my hats on, uh, depending what we were doing. And that consistency wasn't necessary. Sometimes some shows want to keep it consistent. You're wearing the same clothes through the whole thing and they'll work around it and wash the clothes in the meanwhile. You're not expected to shoot everything in one day. Uh, Well, I'm sure there's circumstances out there where, where people do. But it was a lot of fun that way, and I always got a kick out of that question because you work with what you have, and I always found that fun. I, I, as a person with a vision impairment, can't appreciate some of the stuff that people are on TV, hosts and stuff like that, and I always wonder, you know, are they, do they wear a suit? Do they have tie or go without? And sometimes you feel a little disadvantaged because you don't know, and I know a lot of people, people pick up their trends that way as to what people are wearing what's kind of out there and maybe themselves say yeah man i like that style and those are some of the greatest descriptions that i enjoy when reading an audiobook hi i'm ramia amuthan join me weekly for ami audiobook review the podcast that explores new titles introduces us to famous narrators and updates what's hot at the center for equitable library access download episodes of ami audiobook review from your favorite podcast provider